0: CHAPTER TWENTY OF MONICA This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. MONICA by Evelyn Everett Green A Visit to Arthur Are you getting tired of this sort of thing, Monica? asked Randolph about three days later. He had fancied he detected traces of weariness at times—weariness or anxiety, he could hardly have told which—in the lines of her face, and he thought that possibly some trouble was resting upon her. He was very quick to note the least change in one he loved so well. Her smile, however, was very reassuring. "'I think I should never be really tired of any life you shared, Randolph, but I like being alone together best.' "'I, too,' he responded with great sincerity. Monica, as we have done our duty by society now, shall we indulge ourselves once more and leave the world to wag on its own way and forget it again for a few more happy weeks? Her face was bright and eager. Go back to the Moorland shooting-box, Randolph, she questioned. No, not that quite. The season is getting a little late for remaining up in the north. I have a better plan in my head for you. Are we going back to Trevlin then? Trevlin is not ready for us. It will be some time before it is. Can you think of nothing else you would like to do, of nobody you want to see? A flush rose suddenly into Monica's face. Her eyes shone with happiness. Oh, Randolph, are you going to take me to see Arthur? You would like to go? Above everything. Then the thing is done. We will start next week. I talked about it to the doctor when I saw him, and he advised three months of entire quiet and seclusion whilst he settled down to the new life. After that, he believed there would be no reason at all against his seeing friends from home. I wrote again last week to put the question definitely, and the answer is entirely satisfactory. If you want to go, Monica, the whole question is settled. She came close up to him, clasping her hands upon his shoulder and looking up with loving gratitude and delight. "'You think of everything, Randolph. You are so good to me. It is just the one thing to make my happiness complete, to see my boy again and make sure with my own eyes that he is well cared for and content with his life. I want to be able to picture him where he is. I want to hear him say that he is happy, that he does not pine after traveling. I think you will have your wish then, Monica, for, from what I can gather, he is very well pleased with his quarters, and improved health makes life pleasant and full of zest. He has the natural love of change that you never knew, and your inherited love for your old home is not really shared by him to any great extent, now that he has tried another life. Trevlin is not woven into the very fibres of his heart as into yours. I think the homesickness passed off quickly with him. Yes, I dare say I believe I was foolish myself about Trevlin, and taught him to be foolish too. Why is it that the younger we are, and the less we know, the more we are convinced we are always right? I have made so many, many mistakes. Once I thought you did not love me, Randolph." It was sweet to him still to hear her speak thus, with the intonation that always thrilled him through, with the look upon her face so much more eloquent than any words. It was sweet to feel her loving confidence and dependence. Again and again he vowed deep down in his heart that she should never know a trouble from which he could save her. The journey was approved by both, it would take them away once again from the round of social duties and pleasures of which for the time being they had had enough, and leave them practically alone together to be all in all to one another, as was now their greatest happiness. "It is too bad of you to run away, Monica," Beatrice grumbled when she heard the news your brother can't want you more than we do here, and if you go, you'll vanish no one knows for how long as you did before, and then you will go and bury yourselves in your enchanted castle right away by the sea, and nobody will hear of you any more. I call it too bad, just as we were getting to be friends and learning to know you. Monica smiled at the imputation of vanishing so entirely. "'You shall hear of us sometimes, I promise you,' she answered. "'If you and your brother will not find the enchanted castle too dull, "'I hope you will come and see us there when we go back in the autumn. "'There are not a great many attractions, I am afraid, "'but there is some shooting and hunting. "'I should like to show you Trevellin some day, Beatrice, "'though I believe it will be a good deal changed "'from the place I have sometimes described to you.' "'It is sure to be perfect, whatever it is like,' was the quick response." I should think we would come, Haddon and I, if ever we get an invitation. I always did long to see Trevlin, and I am sure he does the same, though he is no hand at pretty speeches, poor old boy. Haddon smiled and coloured a little, but answered frankly enough, Lady Trevelyn does not want pretty speeches, as you call it, made to her, Beatrice. She knows quite well what a pleasure it would be to visit her and Randolph at Trevlin.' I should like my husband's oldest friends to see the place, she answered smiling, so we will call that matter settled when we really do get home, though I do not quite know when that will be. Next day, Randolph and Monica said good-bye to Scotland, and began their journey southward. They were in no great haste, and travelled by easy stages. Arthur was to be told nothing of the prospective visit, which was to be kept a surprise till the last moment. Monica was never a very good correspondent, even where Arthur was concerned, and if she posted a letter to him last thing before leaving England, he would not be surprised at a silence of a fortnight or more, by which time at latest she would be with him. So they took their time over the journey, and the strangeness of all she saw possessed a curious charm for Monica when viewed beneath her husband's protecting care, and in his constant company. He took her to a few quaint Norman towns, with their fine old churches and picturesque streets and marketplaces, then to Paris, where a few days were passed in seeing the sights and watching the vivid, hurrying, glittering life of that gay capital. Steering an erratic course, turning this way and that to visit any place of interest, or any romantic spot that Randolph thought would please his wife, they approached their destination and presently reached the pretty picturesque little town, hardly more than a village, which was only just rising to importance, on account of the value of its mineral springs lately discovered. One good-sized hotel and the doctor's establishment, both of which stood at the same end of the village and a little distance from it, testified to the rising importance of the place. Randolph had secured comfortable rooms in the former, where they arrived late one evening. Monica liked the place. It was not in the least like what she had pictured, far more pretty, more primitive, and more country-like. Wooded hills surrounded the valley in which it lay. A broad, rapid stream ran through it, spanned by more than one grey stone bridge, and the irregularly built village was quite a picture in its way, with its quaint old houses, with their carved gables and little wooden balconies, and the spire of its church rising above the surrounding trees. Viewed by moonlight, as she saw it first, It was a charming little place, and the charm did not vanish with the more prosaic light of day. The interview with the doctor was most satisfactory. He was a kindly, simple-minded man, much interested in his patient from a professional standpoint, and fond of the lad for his own sake. Monica's beauty and sweetness were evidently not lost upon him. He had heard much of her from the young Herr, he explained, and could understand well the feelings he had so often heard expressed. No, the invalid had not been told of the expected arrival. He did not know but that Lord and Lady Trevelyn were in England. Did the noble lady wish to go to him? He would honour himself by leading the way. Monica followed him with a beating heart. They went up a wide, carpetless staircase, and on the first landing her guide paused and indicated a certain door. He is up. Madame can go straight in. A joyful surprise will but do him good. Monica turned the handle and entered as quietly and calmly as if this had been the daily visit to the old room at Trevlin. Arthur was lying with his back to the door. He was reading and did not turn his head, fancying it was the servant entering as he heard the rustle of a dress. Monica came and stood behind him, laying her hand upon his head. "'Arthur!' she said softly. "'Then he started as if he had been shot. "'He sat up with an energy that showed a decided increase of strength, "'holding out his hands in eager welcome. "'Monica! Monica!' he cried in a sort of rapturous excitement. "'It is Monica herself!' "'She bent over him and kissed him again and again "'and would have made him lie down again, "'but he was too excited to obey. "'Monica! My own Monica! When did you come? "'What does it all mean? "'Oh, this is too splendid! "'Where's Randolph?' "'Here,' answered that familiar voice just within the door. "'Well, my boy, how are you getting on? "'Like a house on fire, eh? "'Monica and I are on our wedding trip, you know. "'We thought we would finish it off by coming to have a look at you. "'Well, you look pretty comfortable up here, "'and have made fine progress, I hear, since I saw you last. "'Like everything as much as you have made out in your letters, eh? "'Oh, I'm all right, enough. "'Never mind me. Tell me about yourselves.' "'Whose idea was this? I call it just splendid.' "'Randolph's idea,' answered Monica. "'All the good ideas are his now, Arthur. "'We have come to stay a whole fortnight with you, "'and when I have seen everything with my own eyes, "'and am quite convinced that everybody is treating you well, "'I shall go home content to Trevlin to wait till you can join us there.' "'I mustn't think of that just yet,' answered Arthur cheerfully. "'My old doctor says it will be a year, perhaps two before I shall really be on my legs again, but he is quite sure he is going to cure me, which is all that matters. I am awfully comfortable here, and there are some jolly little children of his who come and amuse me by the hour together. Oh, yes, I have capital times. I couldn't be more comfortable anywhere, and if you and Randolph come some time to see me, I shall have nothing left to wish for. Certainly Arthur was surrounded by every luxury that wealth could bestow. There was none of the foreign bareness about his rooms that characterized its other apartments. Randolph had ordered everything that could possibly add to his comfort, and make things home-like for him, even to the open fireplace with its cheerful fire of logs, although the stove still retained its place, and in cold weather did valuable service in keeping an even temperature in the room. Arthur's visitors had made him gradually understand how much more sumptuously he was lodged than other patients, and he knew well enough to whom he owed the luxuries he enjoyed. He explained all this to Monica, and in her own sweet way she thanked her husband for his tenderness toward her boy. "'I always feel as if Arthur were a sort of link between us, Monica,' he said. "'I'm sure he was in those old days when we were strangers to each other.' "'I owe him a great deal that he knows nothing about. "'Were it only for that, I must always love him "'and feel towards him as towards a brother.' "'Quickly and happily the days slipped by "'and the pleasant visit drew to its close. "'It lengthened out it in nearly three weeks, "'but at last the news came that Trevlin "'was ready for its master and mistress.' and Arthur bid a brave farewell to those who had done so much for him, and settled himself with cheerful readiness to his winter with his new friends. A visit next spring and summer was confidently promised, and he saw his guest go with an unselfish brightness that was in no way assumed. Monica was quite happy about him now, and though the parting was a little hard, she was as brave as he. She turned her face homeward with a light heart. "'Only one little cloud of anxiety lay upon her heart. "'What was Conrad Fitzgerald doing? "'Was he still lurking about Trevlin?' "'Even that question was destined to be answered "'in a satisfactory manner before many days had passed. "'They travelled rapidly homewards, "'as the season was advancing, "'and they were anxious to be once more at Trevlin. "'They were in a train, which had stopped at some station.' when another train from an opposite direction steamed up and also stopped. Monica, leaning back in her corner seat, noticed nothing for a time, but was roused to the consciousness that she was being intently regarded by a passenger in the opposite train, whose face was pressed close against the glass. For some seconds she resisted the impulse to look, but as she felt the glance withdrawn, she presently turned her eyes in the direction of the half-seen face, and then she started violently, Conrad Fitzgerald, his face pale and sharp, wearing a frightfully malevolent expression, was gazing, or rather glaring, at her husband, with eyes like those of a wild beast in their fiery, hungry hate. Randolph, seated opposite her, reading the paper, was perfectly unconscious of the proximity of his foe, but Monica recoiled with a feeling of horror she could hardly have explained. The next moment the train had moved on. At least it was some comfort to know that they were being rapidly carried in opposite directions. Yet it was long before she could forget the vindictive hatred of the gaze she had seen directed towards her husband. Would Conrad Fitzgerald ever do him the deadly injury he had vowed? End of chapter 20